You're listening to Fair Play Pod, the only podcast on iTunes dedicated to Michael Holt, Mr. Terrific. I am your host, Nick Antoine. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen, and all those in between. Let's do this. Old business. Hope you studied up on multiple dimensions existing in relativistic space. For general knowledge purposes, of course, no other reason. New business. This episode is still brought to you by Holt Industries and Terrificatech. You're welcome. Mr. Terrific, number two, Blinded by Science. Written by Eric Wallace. Thank you. Penciled by... Come on, get this right, Nick. Gianluca Gugliotta. Wayne Foucher was the anchor. Mike Atea was the colorist. A-T-I-Y-E-H. Dave Sharp was the letterer. While J.G. Jones drew and inked the cover. And Laverne Kinzierski provided the color. In case you didn't catch the hint last episode, uh, Laverne Kinzierski um, provided a lot of awesome amounts of help. That was a horrible sentence uh, for the Hellblazer graphic novel in the initial run. I'm not 100% sure how far into the run they went, but I know at least for a good long while in the beginning, starting with issue one, they were in charge of, if I'm not mistaken, the covers? But I could be wrong. It could have just been the color within the issues. I know John Ridgway did the penciling and the inking, and Jamie Delano um, did did all the writing, all the glorious writing. So I, I believe that's what it was, that Laverne Kinzierski did the colors on the inside and then the cover itself. I should know this. They're, they're involved with Hellblazer. <laughs> Kate Stewart was the assistant editor on this Mr. Terrific. Um, not Hellblazer. <laughs> uh, whilst Joey Cavalieri was the main editor. Now I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going back into this series finding that I shouldn't have been um, reading a bunch of other stuff instead of this. I should have knocked this out and then even gone through it a second time uh, way back when. And by that I mean when it would have ended in the beginning of 2012. If we're going by the Flashpoint as a frame of reference. Like I said before, I think I stopped issue three, maybe issue four, just because I got wrapped up in World's Finest. Again, I was being led by um, hormonal tendencies, uh, people branching out between issues. Uh, but this is just—it's just great stuff. It's amazing stuff. You know, it's—it's it's got the typical comic book fare in different aspects, but then it, it just goes out there in a way that I don't think a lot of graphic novels, mainstream graphic novels, have seen since the '70s. I don't mean that in a in a derogatory way, as if to give the supposition like hippies are not something to be given credence. Uh, hippies are just the parents of modern day hipsters. It's the same word, just different suffixes. Uh, what is enthralling is the way that the different worlds are interpreted, and by that I mean you know the ninth dimension. And then later on, you see some things that are, you know, a little bit different, hinting towards other things, which, if I remember correctly, 
I, I think get played out in Superman. I don't think it, it happens. Um, I, I'm actually positive it doesn't happen. Uh, what do you call it? Company wide. If I remember correctly, it happens in Superman. There's no, because the hell on earth is when it's Superman, Superboy, Supergirl in the New 52. So the threat that's glimpsed in this particular issue is explored more. I'm almost positive within the first 12 issues of Superman uh, in the New 52 post Flashpoint. Um, it's never touched upon again. It's something that, how can I say this without spoiling it? It's due to the Flashpoint. It's the best way to say it. Nevertheless, the different rooms within these different worlds that are explored, it's got a very fluid motion to it. It's the way that the shapes are drawn, whether it's the actual static images that are, you know, windows or buildings or cars, or it's people that are supposed to be in motion, they have this fluidity to them as if everyone's got this small layer of, of, of fat on them, or maybe just their skin is a bit loose, and everything is kind of still moving like as if they're in a wind turbine, which, I don't know, I, I thoroughly like. Nobody is just standing still to stand still. Now, granted, the events of the previous issue are still playing themselves out. Th those being um, horrendous earthquakes in this issue, it's uh, pointed at being uh, a threat that could end up having 13.5 or higher on the Richter scale, which is quite ridiculous. If you know anything about Richter scales, the level of intensity doubles every decimal point, not in the tenths place, but in the ones place, so the rest of the decimal point. So if something's a 1 on the Richter scale, let's just do a generality here. If something's a 1 on the Richter scale, then it would be a low rumble that, for instance, might have enough pressure, you know, let's say 50 PSI, 50 pounds per square inch. If you were to go to 2 on the Richter scale, it would be 100 PSI, pounds per square inch. If you go to 3 on the Richter scale, it would be, uh, get this right, 10,000 PSI. That's how it works. And subsequently, you know, 4 would be 1 million Right? Is that right? Another three. 100 million. Yeah, 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million. Yeah. Uh, so a four in the Richter scale would be 100 million PSI, and so on and so forth. Uh, it's, it's a powerful earthquake. It would make sense for a majority, <laughs> or tremors at least before the, the, the earthquake, um, kind of, you know, warning shocks as opposed to aftershocks, pre-shocks. Neither of those are phrases or words. It would make sense that the people would seem to be in constant motion that way. But I, I'd like to put that on the shoulders of um, Mr. Gugliotta. I was going to say Mr. or Mrs., but I, I'm just going to go out on a limb. Gianluca's a man. No, I'm not going to do that, because Gianluca could be a woman. So Gianluca, Gugliotta, their intention was to, in my opinion, create this illusion as if the, the image in every single panel is consistently moving and no one's standing still because of the threat that's occurring. Now, I'd like to, I'm going to be pointing out different, as I did in the previous issue, the different aspects of uh, science, or that's too general, quantum physics uh, that are involved in, in the series because I don't, I, I A, don't want to spoil the story. Like I mentioned in the previous episode, the first issue took me off guard again. I know it probably did it the first time I read it, 
because it's so vague. I, I'm sorry to the creators of not only Mr. Terrific, but this particular run of the, uh, this particular series. I just was in the midst of reading a bunch of comics at the same time, and it just became stories that I was consuming, which is not a good way to do it. I think people should pace themselves, you know, like with any story. Pace yourself, pace yourself. It's, you know, some people read a chapter at night and they're reading a book before they get to the whole thing. You know, you don't sit there and read one chapter in one book, one chapter in another book, and a chapter in another book, and then go to sleep, and then the next day do the same thing. It's technically what it's like to read random comics in a series over and over again, day by day, week to week. <laughs> just just finish out a run. Of course, that's against capitalism, but let's, let's not go down that road. So as I mentioned, uh, quantum physics plays very heavily in this series. I mean, I'm only two issues in. I hope it continues this way. But it seems like that's what the trend is. Um, it seemed like the cliffhanger of the last issue, um, things would not be able to turn around, but that's the typical ways of a, of a, of a cliffhanger. Uh, Michael Holt here, Mr. Holt, pulls out a, a T-sphere. Uh, if you are listening to this episode for the first, as, as your first gleaning of this podcast, please go to the previous episode. <laughs> please go to issue one and read issue one first as well as listen to this particular podcast after the fact before you continue on you know so things make sense pulls out a t-sphere and uses that to reset his brain which i think is amazing he's got a, a brain computer interface that seems to um, operate on a wi-fi signal um, it probably would be wi-fi if anything uh, just because bluetooth has a shorter range why is that bluetooth signals, Wi-Fi signals, um, telephone signals from a landline, telephone signals from your cell phone, as well as, um, I guess you could say in the 90s and before, television signals. Let's not do that. Nowadays, radio signals and satellite signals, they all travel in the same part of the electromagnetic spectrum. They all travel, granted, at different frequencies, but I went into this in the previous issue, previous episode. Um, I'll go do it again. Uh, they all operate on different frequencies, but it's in the same section. So you, there's a very good chance you remember the electromagnetic spectrum from school. It contains everything. Now, you normally know exactly, well, you normally know visible light. You know, Roy G. Bibb, um, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet, going from the shortest wavelength to... I'm sorry, going from the longest wavelength to the shortest wavelength. Um, the lower frequency, let's just say in this case, a one meter per second. The wave travels one meter in a second as red, and violet would be 10 meters in a second. It's going, in one second, ends up going 10 meters. That's a, the violet light, as opposed to red light. It goes a meter in, in it goes a meter in a second, not 10 meters, so it's 10 times slower in this instance, that's not the exact numbers um, I may pull that up a little bit later the whole idea of I went into this in the previous episode basically, frequency, you're going to remember this, all waves, every, every aspect of matter, whether it's solid matter, uh, gas or liquid, or I guess probably solid liquid gas, and even plasma, the, the four phases of matter that occur naturally in nature in space, whether it's on, on a planet or in the void of space between planets and stars, um, they all exist as, uh, it's called a, 
Oh man, dual wave part dual wave particle. That's not right. It's not dual wave particle. It is uh get this right, Nick. Dual wave uh, no, I have it. It's my, it's my, uh, whatchamacallit? I was going to say my dysentery. <laughs> my dyslexia. It's wave particle duality. Okay. The idea is every aspect of matter, but more specifically light, exists as both a wave and a particle. Okay. What is light? It is, in essence, the response of electrons hitting an atom and then that atom releasing electrons when it releases electrons it releases light it's the expenditure of energy it's as if uh, the the electron you know the nucleus of an atom it's got rings around it and those rings have electrons kind of like a sun and planets that's the correlation there if you were to take the earth away from the solar system it would cause all kinds of catastrophe of course for people on earth but for the rest of the solar system, let's say it like this, if you were to take Mars away, it would cause, of course, a lot of disturbance on Mars, but the Earth would end up getting pulled towards the orbit that Mars was in because of the, the gravitational well that would occur there when Mars would be pulled away. Just like, uh, let's get this right, Nick, Jupiter would be pulled towards the Oort cloud, O-O-R-T, and closer towards... Um, uh, the space that Mars was in, all of that would be an expenditure of energy. In this uh, analogy with atoms, when an electron, because in this case it would be a, a deus ex machina, a hand of God, some unseen force, whether it's people blowing up Mars or using a gigantic ship to pull it away, or some gigantic being that we did not know existed from some faraway galaxy or dimension or universe, who knows. Um, that, that instance pulled the planet away or just made it so it was no longer there, that, that instance is the same as an electron hitting an atom and causing the electron, an electron on that atom, that's circling that atom, to be knocked away like a pool cue. When that happens, there's an expenditure of energy. It's those two at electrons colliding with each other, as well as the electron being broken away from that atom that causes a spark depending on which atoms you cause to click together, you're going to get different types of sparks. So if you, for instance, get um, magnesium electrons to be excited at just, at just the right temperature, you'll get a flare, like a flare gun. Um, and of course, it's gonna have different uh, chemical compositions in it, but it's mostly the magnesium. If it's magnesium sulfate or anything like that, that's used as a base. Uh, it's kind of like with cake. You're not really eating the flour. You're not looking for the flour. You're trying to taste the sugar. But if you had, for instance, three cups of sugar and one cup of flour, you would get a burnt, crispy, caramelized cake. You have three cups of flour to the one cup of sugar. You get this doughy substance that's now a carrier for the flavor you wanted, i.e. the purpose of all foods. If you were to instead not use magnesium, but instead use, for instance, uranium-238, uh, uranium that's now higher up, if I'm not mistaken, it's uranium-235. If it's uranium-238, it now has three extra electrons that got caught up in the orbit. If you were to hit that, it now would still not even be the original uranium state that's somewhat inert. Um, you would not only get the explosion that you would expect, 
uh, from hitting any two electrons together, but you would get uh, the high-yield nuclear explosion that we all have come to know as the atom bomb. So depending on which atom is being hit with an electron, you're going to get varying sizes of explosions. Now, it doesn't mean it has to be higher up on the periodic table. As you know, stars are made up mostly of hydrogen atoms. That's the first element. I'm sure a hydrogen bomb, if um, worked, if, if configured properly, is a lot more devastating in the long run than, or in the short term, than a uranium bomb or a plutonium bomb because although hydrogen is lower on the spectrum, it's got, uh, um, I guess you could just say less to lose. It's closer towards becoming uh, completely disassociated with itself and needing to be brought back to its regular state. So it's only got the one electron, you knock it off, that electron that hit it is going to become the new electron and cause, create whatever state of matter is uh, capable of being created in that medium. Whereas if you do it with uranium-238, there's 237 other electrons that are there orbiting the nucleus. It's just, there's a chain of events that are different, thus why you have radiation poisoning with uranium-238, because there are all those extra electrons that can go off because they're energized in a different frequency now, as opposed to hydrogen, which it will have its explosion, and then the hydrogen atoms will dissipate and uh, co-mingle with oxygen in the air and just basically create different states of water. Now, <clears throat> the Bose-Einstein condensate gets, end up, get, gets brought up a little bit later uh, in this particular issue, and we'll get to that when we get to that. Um, but I just figured it was worth pointing out what I just pointed out, uh, because all of matter, like when, when I was talking about the electromagnetic spectrum that most people are aware of, uh, or at the very least know about in uh, middle school, the, the latter half of middle school, like eighth grade. By eighth grade, you know about Roy G. Biv. You also now, depending on your proclivities towards the sciences, the very sciences, uh, you're bound to start finding out or allowing things to stick because you were told about all the other ones, but it starts to stick. So you're like, oh, there's X-rays and microwaves and alpha waves and gamma waves and beta and delta and, you know, there's, there's all kinds of waves that are all on the electromagnetic spectrum. It's considered the electromagnetic spectrum because, like I said, all of matter, all of its states, all four, uh, are all wave patterns as well as particles. They are, just think of like a, like a piece of salt. That piece of salt never stands still. The only time it stands still is at absolute zero, which is, if I'm not mistaken, negative 238 Celsius. Or it's negative 477 Fahrenheit, something like that. I think it's negative 238. No, that's uranium. So it's, I think it's probably like negative 278. I, I'm almost positive it's an 8 at the end. Um, but it's absolutely zero is when a, a particle, no matter what the element, will be at rest. The electrons will stop moving, thusly causing the n nucleus to stop moving throughout space. Because absolute zero does not exist. Um, quite often in nature. I was going to say a lot, but that doesn't that kind of terminology doesn't go with how I've been talking lately uh, in this episode. All of matter exists as both a wave and a particle. That piece of salt you're holding in your hand on a macroscopic level isn't going anywhere. You're holding a tiny piece of salt. But if you were to use not just a microscope, 
but an electron microscope and electron microscope, you would see that all of these different atoms are moving around. But because of their attraction to each other, they're holding a shape. Because of the temperature surrounding that tiny, tiny, tiny little crystalline piece of salt, it's keeping it in, in that form because of the wave patterns around it, the heat patterns. That's all heat is. It's literally one source of atoms expelling electrons at a certain frequency, like I said, the wave crests where it peaks, where the, the wave goes to the top. That's one part, that's point A of a frequency, wavelength. I'm sorry, that's two things. The frequency is that top point. It goes down below the x-axis and comes back up. When it goes to that top again, that's the next point. How often those it ends up crossing over through that x point again. You look at the xy axis on a graph. How often it crosses through is the frequency. It's, it's how 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 long it takes for that line to reach that top point again. I say the top point because it could be the bottom point too. It doesn't really matter. It's just crossing through. Um, that's used the, the xy axis like a graph is used as a point of reference, just because. That's that's the state of the universe. The universe has an X Y Z axis. So anywhere anywhere that you point a wave, it's going to be, you know, dun 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 dun, like you know, bouncing up and down or left and right. It's going to be, and you can draw a straight line to it. You can draw a straight line to it. If it serves as an X, you can draw another line. Um, you know, that line through would be horizontal. Draw another line vertical. Get an X Y axis. Is the best way to tell those things. So frequency, how often those humps go to the top, they crest up at the top, that's frequency. The wavelength is just the distance between those crests. That's all. Nevertheless, all of matter does that. All of matter is that piece of salt that's moving from one place to another. It's just on a microscopic level. Those atoms are all tiny, tiny pieces of salt. They're all moving from one place to another. We can see them because electrons bounce off of them and create an explosion. When you are looking at Voigibiv and the electromagnetic spectrum, all the colors, the visible light, those colors, those are explosions that are occurring because electrons are hitting them. You are able to see those colors because photons, which are basically particles of light. I'm going to dumb that down as much as I can for myself, really, so I don't trip over over myself. So basically, it's light moving. It's not light stationary in an area, not, not frozen because absolute zero, but like a star. A star isn't a photon. It's, it's, it's stationary. But when it releases energy, it is releasing photons as well as a bunch of other things. Those photons are carriers. They not only are the electrons, but they are carrying the light itself. They are uh, exploding until they hit the surface they're trying to hit. So the sun, during the day, or at night, the electrons coming out of a, a candle or a light bulb, those two objects, those light sources, are the things that are shooting off the electrons that cause the thing that you're looking at to actually have color. If you didn't have those electrons hitting the object you're looking at, it would be darkness. You would be sitting in the dark. You would not be able to see anything. That thing would have no color. Now, we go into the realm of Descartes with that and the, and the, and the idea of, oh, well, you know, does that object still exist as its own entity? 
if it's not observable. That was non, not, not. Um, yes, it does. You know, the whole tree falls in the forest and there's no one around to hear it. You know, it doesn't make a sound. Yes, it makes a sound. It's an unobservable sound, but the sound exists nonetheless. Uh, just like, theoretically speaking, there are other universes, we just do not know the amount of universes. But they do exist, given the scientific models we've been able to lay out. Whether they were formulas or actual uh, experiments that could be carried out on a very, very small scale. Um, again, still very much a theory. All of matter travels in that way. Whether it's stationary, and it's exploding light, in essence, ex exploding photons. Those photons are the explosion. Even though an electron is going along its merry, merry way, when it's got something on it that causes it to light up, whatever color the electromagnetic spectrum, I'm sorry, invisible spectrum, uh, on the electromagnetic spectrum, that's when it kind of moves on to that area of photon. Um, it seems like it's really going there in my explanation, but I'm trying to make it make the most amount of sense. Now, the, the idea that all the matter is pretty much the same thing, just in different states, you know, so in essence, a hydrogen atom, there's no difference between a hydrogen atom and a uranium atom, except for the electrons that surround the nucleus. All, all atoms have the exact same nucleus, it's made up of uh, quantum materials, so like gluons and um, mesons, like all kinds of bizarre aspects of exotic matter, that's you know, like a planet. It's made up, all planets are pretty much the same. The thing that, uh, or let's not go that way. That's not, that doesn't help. All stars are pretty much the same. They're just in a different phase of their life. And what surrounds them, what planets, what asteroids and meteors surround them are, are, um, are dependent upon the phase that the star is in, how much energy it's giving off, how many electrons how many photons are blasting off from the center of that hydrogen sphere. If you analogize that with atoms, um, for the most part, atoms are all the same. It just matters how excited it is, how excited that the nucleus is, how, or rather how excited the nuclei are of the different aspects of matter whether it's a hydrogen atom or a helium atom, they, they are different because of the things that orbit them and the amount of time that particular atom has existed in our reality. <sighs> That's really going there. Even though matter can neither be created nor destroyed, it transforms. So the hydrogen atom that exists in our sun, a, or rather a hydrogen atom that exists in our sun, existed at the Big Bang, but it may not have been in in the same object. It clearly wasn't in the same space. Definitely wasn't in the same time period. Uh, because, you know, the universe moves. It's either expanding or, contra or contracting. Um, and our galaxy spins, just like every other galaxy spins, just like our solar system spins around the sun, or our sun, uh, soul. Uh, the idea that there's a vast difference between a hydrogen atom and a uranium atom, or a hydrogen atom and a helium atom, is an, uh, an inability to see that all matter is the same. It's just vibrating on different frequencies. And like I mentioned a little earlier, frequency is just how quickly that wave crests 
you know, if it's on a higher pitch, it crests quicker. You know, like a sound with like ah, oh, the waves are da 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 da, as opposed to oh, do do do. If something's got a lower wave pattern, it's going to go farther. It's going to go longer because the energy takes less time to go from point A to point B all the way down the line. Whereas if it's a higher frequency, it dies out. At higher frequency, now it can permeate through a lot of different types of matter, which is why something that's low frequency, a hydrogen atom, throw water on your skin, it's going to take forever for that water to seep through, and it's definitely not going to seep through to the bone. You throw some uranium on your skin, <laughs> you're going to get radiation poisoning because those electrons are vibrating so quickly that, yes, if a piece of uranium was in, you know, uh, Antarctica and you're in the Arctic Circle, it will not harm you, it will not get to you. And it probably never would if somehow jet streams don't even work that way. Uh, if it were to go above the clouds and come back down, it just it would lose all of its energy just because it's vibrating so quickly. But a hydrogen atom is a very good chance that the water that would be in Antarctica could make its way to you in the Arctic Circle. Again, let's just assume in this analogy the jet streams go, you know, vertically around the Earth. If we were to change the analogy, we could just say I just didn't want to implicate one country or another for having uranium. So let's just say a uranium atom in the United States and a hydrogen atom in Switzerland. That kind of works, given the hydrogen, the um, Large Hadron Collider. Uh, the hydrogen atom in Switzerland, if it were shot into the air, you had an <laughs> atom gun. I don't think that technically exists, but I guess it would be a collider that had an open end. Uh, if you shot the hydrogen in, into the air, it could somehow, I mean, statistically speaking, it probably wouldn't, but it could make its way to you in the United States. If you shot that uranium atom into the air in the United States, it would not make it to Switzerland. Its half-life is way too short. And it would end up falling back down to the ground and that, you know, thusly giving people uh, radiation poisoning. Even though it didn't explode, because it's so close <sighs> so that's the basic <laughs> not basic at all principles behind the electromagnetic spectrum and its correlation to the four phases of matter again solid liquid gas and plasma which technically is all three of those put together a plasma being a star um, I, I, I bring these up because of uh, what was pointed out in this particular issue, what I pointed out, which was that Mr. Terrific, Michael Holt, being able to communicate with his T-sphere via a, you know, basically a chip, a chip that's connected to his brain. That thing is communicating on a Wi-Fi signal to his T-sphere. Um, those signals, it's, this, it's, I, I pointed all of the things that I pointed out for the, for the purpose of saying that what's being displayed here is possible. It may not be possible now, but it is possible because the science is there. The science is there for you to use the beta waves. That's you basically you thinking. If you're thinking, you're using beta waves. You're thinking, dreaming, all that. Your brain is vibrating on the beta pattern in the electromagnetic spectrum, in essence. If you are doing things your brain is on an alpha level. So if you're walking, if you're talking, if you're 
um, practicing Tai Chi, any of those things, you're on alpha level. You know, if you're giving orders, any of that stuff, your, your brain is vibrating on that frequency. That's not your entire brain per se. It's the way that the neurons <laughs> um, at the end of your nerve endings, or really the electrons at the end of your nerve endings, the way that they're firing back and forth, the frequency that they're firing on is technically on the alpha level, between the alpha and the beta level. Now there's gamma and delta waves, all that jazz, but we're gonna stick with here. Um, your brain operating on beta waves and being able to communicate with something else that's operating on that same wavelength is basic telecommunications. That's how telephones work. The only way that you can have, and we'll go back to Alexander Graham Bell, the only way you can have a landline phone communicate with another landline phone is that both of those phones have copper wiring with the exact same number of coils. It's spinning around a, 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 center, a central object, some pillar, so that it, it, it has the, the same length, and, and in this case it's wavelength. It's how long that electron has to travel on that receiver for it to be on the same uh, frequency as a device anywhere else in the world. That's all that's happening. Now, it, translating between, you know, from an electron to sound, that's a different aspect of electromagnetism, which is, and it's correlation, because electricity cannot exist without magnetism and vice versa. That's the correlation between a magnet and the subsequent electron that bombards it. Depending on its frequency, you get different sound effects. That's how all, that's how all speakers work. All speakers. So all speakers are technically capable of producing most sounds. And when you get to subwoofers and higher frequency pitches, that is slightly different. You know, if you're, like, if you're going above, what is it like, I think it's 18,000 hertz and above, you might need a special type of speaker. And if you're going below, I know 18 decibels is uh, are, are better speakers like a Bose speaker. But let's just say if you're going below 50 hertz, it's better to have better speakers to hit that. But if you're between 50 and 18,000 hertz, like 50 hertz and 18,000 hertz, not 50,000 hertz, 50 hertz and 18,000 hertz, any speaker can play the sound. What changes the, the sound quality is, again, you're having those electrons being turned into sound. The electrons, in essence, are getting lost on the magnet and, this, and that, that uh, vibration that, it gives, that it's giving off because of the, the speed that is coming out from the stereo is the sound effect that you're getting. So the electron, in essence, is acting as a drumstick and the magnet is the drum and it hits it. And depending on how many electrons hit it and its frequency, you get music. That exact same principle is applied here when it comes to telecommunications because it's the exact same thing. It sends off a wave pattern, which in this case is his brain. His brain was altered given the events of the previous issue and his T-sphere, which was located in his pocket, very close to him, was set to scan his wave patterns. And if there was a change in the wave pattern, in this case, reboot the system. So that little chip that's in his head is not shown, but it's talked about. That chip in his head, yes, it can transmit waves, but it can also receive waves. And despite the fact that we don't necessarily have that technology yet, it doesn't mean, doesn't presuppose that that technology is impossible. It's very much possible. And very intriguing if you think about it, because it would, it would make it as if people would talk a lot less in society. They would spend a lot more time thinking as opposed to speaking which perhaps might be the best thing for us all.
Now the events that were occurring in the previous issue, like I said, are continuing to play out here, but given who the hero is of this particular graphic novel, it's not really a problem. It's not really a problem at all. And we see... Actually, before we get into that, I want to point out just real quick, I had talked about um, uh, gender issues between the races, specifically African-American women and Caucasian-American women, and, and uh, the two of them being prospective partners for an African-American male, and those dramas, again, go back to the previous episode to hear that, uh, that's touched upon again <laughs> on the second page, just, just really quickly, and in a funny way, again, very realistic way, it's just quickly touched upon before it's dismissed and people go about their business. Um, I'd like to point out, page six, uh, Karen Starr, uh, that's her name, she runs Star Labs, two R's. Um, I didn't know this when I had initially read this graphic novel, and then by the time I got to World's Finest, I was like, oh, duh. Um, but I had no idea that Karen Starr's uh, alter ego, or secret identity, was Power Girl. So when I was reading this stuff, I was paying no attention to the fact that if you look at the first panel on page six, Mike Old is struggling quite heavily to break this pipe that uh, contains uh, nitrogen, nitrogen gas, yeah, because liquid nitrogen doesn't exist naturally in, in it doesn't occur naturally, it doesn't occur as a liquid in nature, there you go. You have to do things to it to cause it to slow down and become a liquid, because that's really all it is, uh, a sol you know, when it comes to phases of matter, the slowest, the slowest a, a, an atom can move uh, without it being at absolute zero, it will be a solid. Now, it's different temperatures for different atoms, varies widely. But at its slowest state, it's a solid. If it moves faster, if it vibrates faster, then the solid breaks apart, and dependent on the temperature in the surrounding area, it becomes a liquid. If it moves even faster, the electrons uh, push up against the electrons of other atoms and cause it to separate and become a gas. And depending on how um, strong the gravity is in that local area, so if you're on a planet, the gas is going to be more localized, going to be in a smaller cloud. If you're in space, the gas is going to dissipate and become more of like a, like an ether, more of like a, um, like a, I guess you could say like uh, dry ice. And when you see it, like it looks like this, like this fog that's rolling, but you can almost see through it. That's uh, technically what would end up. You wouldn't have these condensed clouds that could maybe create some form of precipitation. Um, nitrogen, like I'm saying, uh, the way that you create liquid nitrogen is to force nitrogen gas through magnet, magnetic rings, um, or rings of magnets, not rings that are magnetic. These are rings that are magnets. So I just want to clarify here. Um, I don't necessarily mean magnesium, I mean elements that are naturally magnetic as opposed to, you know, making copper or nickel magnetic and saying, oh yeah, we're going to use this as a magnet. It's like, no, it's, 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 a, it's a, uh, a hybrid. I want to say it's molybdenum, but I don't think it's molybdenum. Uh, high density magnets, there might be nickel in it, but I know there's no copper. It's, uh, so you know, I shouldn't try and do this off the top of my head. I feel like there's some magnesium, maybe some uh, maybe some iron, but no, that's not right. Uh, high, densi high density uh, or, or high yield, high power magnets usually are various compounds. Those magnets, all magnets are doing, as you know, north or south. It's either 
pulling towards itself or pushing away. It's either pulling atoms towards itself or it's pushing them away. If you have a ring, a magnetic ring, there's a very good chance that the outside of the ring is going to be one frequency and the inside is going to be another. Now, I'm almost positive it's manufactured that way, but it could just be an aspect of physics. And it just doesn't seem like you could have a ring, a circle, that could have varying frequencies on the inside. They eventually would cancel themselves out and whichever was the most powerful would, you know, take over. And then the flip side and the other side and the outside of the ring, that would be the polar opposite. So if you had north on the inside, you have south on the outside and vice versa, south on the inside, north on the outside. If you have that magnetic ring, you pass nitrogen through it. It exists, like I said, nitrogen in, in its natural state, <laughs> in its regular state in nature is a gas. It's vibrating at a higher frequency. If you push that nitrogen gas through a magnetic ring, the electrons are pulled from it. Now, it's not pulled away to the point where the nitrogen is now a different isotope, but it pulls on the electrons that are surrounding every atom, thusly causing it to slow down, as if you're putting the brakes on a car. Or if you look at a, an airplane that lands on an air, aircraft carrier, they always have those ropes that are along the ground. So when it's, it lands, the rope catches on, uh, yeah, it's nose up. So it catches on the rear wheels so it causes it to slow down even more, even though it's still got its own energy and it's still its own momentum and it's still flying forward uh, or really gliding forward. It's, it's now going to be sliding because that rope is there. It's the same principle. Nitrogen is turned into a liquid by being either surrounded by magnets, uh, you know, shot through them, magnets that are surrounding them, or condensed like in a canister. You put the nitrogen in the canister and you create a vacuum, you suck out all the air, uh, it causes the PSI, the pounds per square inch, to get much, much higher, and force the nitrogen atoms to get closer and closer together and thus to become a liquid. <sighs> all that being said, <laughs> this pipeline that has this liquid nitrogen, that once it's open will be a nitrogen gas and more effective in thwarting the, the, the threat that's occurring uh, at Holt Industries. Or no, that's not the name of it. Name of the place is, I want to get this right. Um, yeah, yeah, it's at Scene, C-E-E-N. But there's another name for it. I'm going to wait for my iPad to finish. Uh, finish loading. There you go, Consentia Institute in Santa Barbara, California. Consentia, C-O-N-S-C-I-E-N-T-I-A. That's Michael Holt's uh, awesome, awesome place of work. Uh, I didn't notice before, like this is where I was started off with this tangent, that Karen Starr was the one that, that pulled this off. She broke, she opened this thing. There's no way in the world. That, that's not to say that, oh, a woman coming up behind a guy and helping him open up a, a pipe and, and, and thus doing so isn't plausible. You know, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is, if you didn't know that Karen Starr was Power Girl, you know, the Earth 2 version of Supergirl, or I guess technically Superwoman, but let's not go there. Um, It's two human beings couldn't bend a pipe out of position. It just, it just wouldn't happen. That's why the old black and white Superman television shows, and then, you know, the subsequent movies, let's just stick with the television shows. Um, those ended up being so popular at that time, and they still are now, but at that time especially. And then you can even look at the Fleischer films, the, the cartoons, the, the Superman bending steel. It's just because you can't do it. It's too solid. You cannot do it. And most pipes are made out of lead 
or iron. No, not lead. That makes no sense. People get lead poisoning. They're made out of iron. Iron is unbendable. Hence the reason why there was a delineation between the Iron Age, Bronze Age, you know, and then you know, other, you know, steel and all the other stuff from along. Uh, iron is, is one phase of matter. It, was, it wasn't until we found, oh, you have to excite, maybe they didn't know it was on this level, but you have to excite the atoms of the iron ore, the, the iron atoms. You have to excite them to the point that they space apart and go from being a solid to a liquid. And when it's in that liquid state, we force some other atoms into it. And with steel, I think it's, I'm almost positive, it's not tin, because tin is its own thing. It's not an atom, it's its own mixture. But like uh, nickel, no, carbon, there you go. Carbon and something else to make steel. It's carbon, something else, and iron, and you get steel. Um, a lot of the carbon you get literally just by pouring water on the liquid, the water pouring on the iron, Oh, here we go. Uh, the two hydrogen atoms and the oxygen atom. Uh, that molecule hitting the iron atom causes an explosion. That explosion is, I was going to say the steamification, but uh, the air surrounding it to get turned into a gas. Okay? When that explosion is happening, and again, I'd like to point out for anyone that doesn't know, and I learned this from QI, steam is clear. It just is. Steam is clear. Gas has a color. So anytime, like, really the entire industrial revolution <laughs> with steam engines and all that, they weren't steam engines, they were gas-powered engines. Steam has no color. Steam is clear. Uh, if you don't believe me, put a skillet or a pan on a... On a you know, on a, on a surface, on, on, a, on a stove, turn it up all the way, and then, you know, put your hand over it. Don't put your hand on it. I don't know why I'm telling people to do this, but you're adults, you know what I'm talking about. You're not a kid. And if you are, get your parents' permission first. Put your hand over the pan, you'll feel the steam. That is the heat. The steam is just heat, and it's all it is. And if there's enough heat being generated from the object in a condensed space, you can see the wave patterns. That's all it is. Anyway, uh, when that gas is expelled, when the hydrogen and oxygen molecule of water hits the iron molecules in that, you know, piece of iron sword thingy, any particulates that are in the air burn. It's so hot, it burns automatically. And it falls because of gravity. Because that piece of iron isn't above the water, but it's below it, it falls down onto it, thusly giving you the scorching that you see, the carbon. So you can probably add carbon to it, but that's most of the carbon that's there. Okie dokie. That thusly makes steel bendable. That's why you can bend a spoon, or you can bend a fork, you can bend your a knife, or a butter knife. Um, but you're not able to take an iron skillet from <laughs> under your, your kitchen cabinet and just bend it, because the items are just too close together. So to see two human beings pull at an iron pipe and bend it so much out of shape that it breaks is implausible. Even given the fact that Michael Holt is Mr. Terrific, he doesn't have enhanced strength. He has an enhanced mind. So it would have to be that there'd be some outside force. And because, you know, if you know graphic novels, and especially if you know DC Comics, and, you know, Detective Comics Comics, then you know Karen Starr is Supergirl. She's, I'm sorry, Power Girl. Uh, so yeah, I just said all that to say, there are hints of that 
that I've seen just in these first two issues, and it'll probably pop up in the next six, that, you know, obviously Power Girl knows that she's Power Girl, but Michael Holt doesn't know. Or at the very least, we're not made to know that he knows. And it seems as if Power Girl knows who Mr. Terrific, that, that Michael Holt is Mr. Terrific. Uh, it's a, again, it's a nice little dynamic underplaying all this stuff while there's this potential 13.5 or 13.8 earthquake about to hit uh, Santa Barbara while he's trying to, as he had put it, use condensates, more specifically, Bose-Einstein condensates to trap the waves. The idea was, there's going to be this earthquake, there are going to be these sh they're, they're shock waves, that's all they are. An earthquake is a shock wave that originates from a point. Whatever that point was, whatever the reasoning for the point, you know, the shifting of tectonic plates in the ocean or on land, or an explosion underwater or on land, uh, those two things, an abrupt changing uh, in the atmosphere, you know, an atmosphere, I'm never going to go down there, uh, in, in this phases of matter surrounding that point, uh, they will, you know, reverberate in kind. Just like you throw a, a pebble into the, a river, it creates waves. It doesn't just go into the river and just doop and then disappear. It hits it, creates waves. Uh, or if you throw a boulder in it, it splashes up. <laughs> water splashes up and all these waves you know come out to the point that maybe frogs that they had surfboards could hang ten he, he decides to trap those waves and cancel them out the idea here is instead of creating a, a symmetrical earthquake that will cancel it out which is normally what you would see in a lot of different forms of science fiction if there's going to be an earthquake that they want to cancel out an earthquake they'll use something else as generating something akin to an earthquake to cancel it out so it vibrates and slows down. Just like I mentioned in the previous episode with Nikola Tesla, he wanted to simulate an earthquake in New York City. So he had a small device that was about the size of a mother box and used one, and, or used that device to cause a building to have an earthquake. But the street, everything surrounding around it had nothing going on just because he was using resonant waves. He was using wave patterns to bounce up against the building and get stronger and stronger in frequency, but at a measured pace, so that it would cause the entire foundation to shake. Instead of going about it that way, the character in here is using a Bose-Einstein condensate. Now, again, using the, uh, the third of the triumvirate of genius that is the internet, going to Wikipedia, the idea is that a Bose-Einstein condensate, for the most part, is a gas that's been cooled down so close to absolute zero, or that's for Kelvin, to, to the freezing point of matter, which I'm looking now, 273. So I was wrong, it wasn't 278 or 238, it's 273. There's a two in there, there's a three, but I was wrong, I admit it, mea culpa. Uh, negative 273.15 Celsius, that's zero uh, K, or the freezing point of matter or when an atom stops moving. The idea is a Bose-Einstein condensate, the thing that Michael Holt says he's going to use to cancel out the earthquake, the idea is it's a gas that even though in that state of matter, you know, it's, it's moving the quickest, for whatever reason, that gas is made to be cooled to absolute zero, but in essence bypassing the liquid and solid phase. It just, just, just zooms straight from gas to solid and and you know absolutely zero frozen completely frozen 
the idea is that once that happens, a large amount of um, elemental particles, a lot, a lot of, and a large amount of atoms, um, uh, start be start behaving in a way that allows you on on a macroscopic level to be able to witness quantum phenomena, to be able to see things like I was mentioning earlier, you know, like like a a, a, a gluon or quarks or muons or anti-protons, anti-electrons, which are just the um, reverse spin versions of a proton or an electron. Uh, a la, if I'm not mistaken, it's positron, because an electron has a negative charge, the anti-electron is a positron. So a positron exists when you allow an element, an, an atom, to go from one phase to another so quickly that it, it in essence is, is going against its own natural laws. You're listening to <laughs> Earthlings be Earthlings. I don't know what song that was. That wasn't inside the studio. Um, and those birds, clearly, I don't own any birds. Uh, so him saying that he's going to use something that, in essence, is going to take an atom, that's an atom that he's going to use, and it, and it really was left vague. It could just be nitrogen that's being used there, but I, I believe it's, it's another atom, and the nitrogen's helping to, as a catalyst to excite the process, to exacerbate the process. But the idea is he's going to have an atom go from one state of matter to another so quickly and specifically from a gas to absolute zero so quickly that when the earthquake wave patterns pass through it it's th th that that matter that went from a gas to absolute zero acts as a shield and anything on the other side of that Bose-Einstein condensate won't feel the effects of the wave because the wave hits it like a you know like I said like a shield like, a, you know, like an electron bumping up against a magnet, it's just going to bounce off. You know, like, uh, like insults. Um, I was, wow, that was going to be like a horrible joke, and I just couldn't put it together. Couldn't put it together. Now, for years, for years, and this was up until a couple of years ago, um, look, fuck it, to be honest, it was, it was literally up until this year, I thought that there was a correlation between Bose, the individual associated with the Bose-Einstein condensate, and Bose-Einstein statistics, there's a lot of different Bose-Einsteins. Uh, and Bose, the company, they make speakers. <laughs> and that's just uh, me being a simpleton. And I apologize for even mentioning that in the first place. But I won't go into who Einstein is because you know who Einstein is. But I don't think most people know who Bose is. His name is uh, Satyendra Nath Bose. That's S-A-T-Y-E-N-D-R-A Satyendra that's first name, Nath, middle name, N-A-T-H, Nath, and Bose, B-O-S-E. He was a Bengali-born uh, Indian physicist uh, who, as it says, states here, specialized in mathematical physics and eventually uh, became known for his, his work on quantum mechanics in the early 1920s. Now, the reason why he's associated so heavily with uh, Einstein is because of this particular instance which, instance, which is something I had no idea about. Now, get this. I'm going to read verbatim because it's quite interesting. While presenting a lecture at the University of Dhaka on the theory of radiation and the ultraviolet catastrophe, do your own research on that, it's quite interesting. The ultraviolet catastrophe. Bose intended to show his students that the contemporary theory was inadequate because it predicted results not in accordance with experimental results. 
In the process of discovering this particular discrepancy, sorry, I added the word particular, Bose for the first time took the position that the Maxwell-Boltzmann distribution would not be true for microscopic particles. I'll just break that down real quick. That particular theory, the Maxwell-Boltzmann distribution, it, his, his statement is that The, the discrepancy of when a scientist sits down and starts throwing out formulations, starts writing down his calculations, whether on a chalkboard, a dry erase board, or in his notes, those predictions that he's making when it comes to the phenom phenomena of, of matter in nature, he was, Bose was stating that for some reason there were some calculations that weren't at, matching up with what actually happens in nature. And he was saying the problem is people were creating theories for things that could be seen with the human eye and not for things that would be only visible with a, you know, a, an electron microscope which at the time I'm, I don't think was readily available you know I'm going to go out on a limb and say it wasn't it was the 1920s it was impossible for it to have just been readily available you had to mostly work on your theories so he ended up quote unquote stressing that the probability of finding particles in the phase space each state I'm going to go past that and discarding the distinct position and momentum of the particles uh, is, is, is something that he ended up doing he, he was stressing that uh, and I wanted to point out just real quick phase space uh, a phase space is it's the place where all possible states of, of matter exist. It's, it's written as all possible states of a system are represented with each possible state of the system corresponding to one unique point in the phase space. That's a lot of words. It just means all, all possible states of a particular element existing at the same time, which doesn't seem like it should make sense. But that technically is a plasma but the space that it occupies at one particular moment is the phase space. Now, it doesn't have to be a star for it to be a plasma. Any atom can be made into a plasma. The idea is the Bose-Einstein condensate, as well as other theories that were proposed by uh, Mr. Bose, uh, his, his statements uh, were to the effect of what we're seeing, or I'm paraphrasing him, what he was seeing in his time period, those theories and equations weren't allowing for what was being shown, what was actually happening in the lab. So, he ended up adapting his lecture into a short article called Planck's Law and the Hypothesis of Light Quanta. And quanta is just a, a medium for something to travel on. Like, quanta in this instance, um, put it this way. And electron is to quanta as a piece of lettuce is to a sandwich. The lettuce can exist without the sandwich, just like an electron can exist without the quanta, but the sandwich cannot exist without the lettuce just like a quanta cannot exist without the electron. 
the quanta, the medium, is that wave I was talking about. The electron exists as the particle, but the electron exists in matter. It's, it's observable by an individual, i.e. you or me, uh, when it's traveling on a wave, when it's traveling from point A to point B. However long the distance is between point A and point B, it's traveling in a wave. It's vibrating. The fact that it's vibrating from point A to point B uh, in, in a certain pattern makes it a wavelength. It's not doing so like in circles. And again, technically it is. Um, it may be traveling on a, more, a little bit more macroscopic level. It actually does. I've actually looked at it. Electrons do travel in circles, so I take that back. Um, but if you go down on a smaller level, it's vibrating on a wave pattern. Up, down, up, down, up, down, or left, right, left, right, left, right. Uh, and then traveling thusly through space in a circle. Oh boy. Um, so that, to just bring that down, Planck's law, that's a law in itself. And this is Bose's hypothesis, you know, the if-then thing. You know, if it's this, then it's that. It's his hypothesis of what light particles, what the, the, the observable universe, all those particles, what they travel on. That's what this particular theory was. To go on. Quote, unquote, respected sir, and that's what's so amazing, he's writing to Albert Einstein. Respected sir, I have ventured to send you the accompanying article for your perusal and opinion. I am anxious to know what you think of it. You will see that I have tried to deduce the coefficient 8 pi v squared over c cubed in Planck's law, independent of classical electrodynamics, only assuming that the ultimate elementary region in the phase space has the co content h cubed. I do not know sufficient German to translate the paper. If you think the paper worth publication, I shall be grateful if you arrange for its publication in Zeitschrift für Physik. Though a complete stranger to you, I do not feel any hesitation in making such a request. Because we are all your pupils, though profiting only by your teachings through your writings. I do not know whether you still remember that somebody from Calcutta asked your permission to translate your papers on relativity in English. You acceded to the request. The book has since been published. I was the one who translated your paper on generalized relativity. And then it goes on to say that uh, Einstein agreed with him, translated his paper, uh, Planck's Law and Hypothesis of Light Quanta, into German, and had it published in Zeitschrift für Physik under Bose's name in 1924. That is just, that is awesome. That is science at work. That, uh, that's what this planet needs so much more of. Just scientists going out of their way to mess around with theories that they rattle around inside their own brains and throw them at other scientists. This idea that all scientists are supposed to be sectioned off because they live in different countries and they work for different companies. That's working towards a profit motive. Or rather, that's working on a, with, on a profit, with a profit motive towards a goal that the end point is having more profits. That was a horrible sentence. Let's try it again. And that's having the world operate in a, in, in, a, in a state of existence where your ideas only matter if they create capital as a scientist. And that's unfair. That's unfair. That's just, it just doesn't even make sense. That's not for the betterment of mankind, that's for the betterment of a wallet. And wallets, unlike corporations, are not people.
That was horrible. Horrible. Pun. No. That wasn't a pun. That was just a bad joke. So, hopefully that, that helped to slightly clear up what <laughs> a Bose-Einstein uh, condensate was, as well as who Mr. Bose was, what phase space is, and what a wave-particle duality is in nature. Uh, all of that stuff pertains to exactly how Michael Holt saves the day. Now, if the last, I'd say, half hour seemed confusing or convoluted or highfalutin in any way, shape, or form, take that into account. We are two issues into this graphic novel, and the superhero of this graphic novel is using quantum physics in, in a very precise way to save the day. Not punching people in the face. This individual is capable of flying, but they're capable of flying because of some piece of technology they created. Um, not... You know, I don't even want to use other examples because I love all, I love graphic novels. So I love superheroes, I love anti-heroes, I love stories that are just between two individuals that are talking in a bar, you know, or, you know, in a house and people breaking up and getting together, like whatever storyboards you decide to put to paper and whether you color them or not. I love it all because I just love visual media. Um, but the fact that this particular hero is using just an aspect of science that's a lot of times disregarded because it's it's so revolutionary is it gives my brain a boner I don't know how else to say that but in that plebeian way so if you look on page 6 <laughs> that's only as far as we've gotten you see what he's created what Mr. Terrific hath wrought and it's the effect it's having on the problem that occurred in the previous issue and carried over into this one. I mean, fast forward. I mean, we're not really fast forwarding now on page 7, but the story fast forwards, or technically page 8, uh, through the sequence of events. And we move forward to uh, Mr. Holt eventually trying to figure out exactly why everything went down the way it did. Before we get to that, we see the bad guy that was hinted at in the previous issue, but actually comes... Uh, into the light in this particular issue. And he, he's got that typical trope of world domination, but it makes sense for an individual who's seen as a villain that was outcast by society to want to be accepted back into society, but only seeing that being able to be done by them ruling said society. That's, that's, that goes back to the beginning of human history. Not even, I mean, that's pre-recorded history. That's the definition of a monarchy. Really, any ucky monarchies, oligarchies, plutarchies. Anytime a person or a group of people decides, oh, we're gonna we're gonna rule these group of people, this this particular group of people, or that particular group of people, it's either because of some jilting at an earlier age, or the casting of the crown upon them at an early age. Either way those two individuals are not a part of general populace. <laughs> so in order for them to feel accepted, they have to take upon that role. Now, I just equated the modern-day supervillain with kings and queens. But it's equitable. You could say the same about superheroes. 
they're going out of their way to say, hey, I know the best way for you to live your life, and I'm going to force you to live your life that way. And they thusly take down the kings and allow society for the general populace to go on the way that it's been going on. But we're not talking about superheroes as of yet, or super-powered superheroes. We're talking about super-powered super-villains. And super-powered super-villains accentuate that particular trope of needing to be a king or a queen for a city or a country or the world because they feel like they can't be normal. That's really all it boils down to. In this instance, it's an individual that's so highly telepathic that I'm sure some backstory would reveal <laughs> that listening to people's thoughts on a constant basis is very difficult. I'd like to point out uh, True Blood, the character Sookie Stackhouse. Uh, that character is shown to sometimes when she's not paying attention to be inundated by other people's thoughts. That individual is for the most part a good person. Uh, you know, the, 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 the hero of the tale. But any other individual, for the most part, you know, because it's written, it's, it's fictional. Most other fictional characters that end up in that same situation end up becoming a bad guy. I.e. Hector Hammond. You know, or, in this case, Brainwave, which is his name. We see some, uh, you know, intercompany dealings that occur with some board members and Michael Holt and, and some of the issues that were brought up in the previous issue, sorry about that, some of the problems that the board has, as well as Alika had, uh, are brought up in the previous issue and they're just brought to bear again here. And it's, it's sad, you know, just speaking as an African American, uh, it's, it's a quandary, you know, you're attracted to what you're attracted to. And the idea that you have to be forced to be attracted to something because it's seen as a quote-unquote societal norm. And not society worldwide, but within a particular society. So within a community, within the black community, or within the Caucasian community, or within the Asian community. The idea that you are only allowed to date people within a certain community because it's what's accepted in that community is a sad thing to have to live through until you get to the, that threshold where you realize other people's opinions don't matter if what you're striving towards is love. If what you're striving towards is hate, of course other people's opinions matter because you could be trying to hurt people, and that sucks. Um, love only hurts you. It doesn't hurt other people. And I know some people probably listen to this, like, what are you talking about? That kind of emotions in a science podcast. And on top of that, what right do you have to be talking about emotions? This is a good point. I'm just a human being. But the way it seems to me, you can't use love and hurt somebody. You can use someone's love for you to hurt someone. So, for instance, you're dating somebody, you know, you're partnered up with someone, and, you know, you're a cynical bastard, and you see, you know, whether you're male or female, you see that your partner likes you more than you like them, or loves you more than you love them. There's a chance you may have them do things for you because you know you have that over them. I'm not saying that that's right or wrong because, as they say, all is fair in love and war. Or rather, I guess all Shakespeare said, all is fair in love and war. Um, and of course, he's, he's, he's right. But the idea that the person that loves you more than you love them can use that love to hurt you is impossible. If they love you more than you love them, and then they, for instance, decide, okay, this relationship's over, well, you don't love them as much, so you can't possibly be hurt by that. 
you can be jilted, you can be disoriented, you can't be hurt by it. The only time people get hurt by love is when they have an overabundance of it. The only time that two individuals, not even in that case, because if it's like a tragic accident where an individual ends up in a coma or dies, the person that is not in a coma or hadn't died clearly is the one that's left loving them more. Whether they love them less before they went, you know, before they suffered the tragedy and now are the only one left to love, or they love them more. In either case, they're the only one in that pairing left to love. Um, again, that's just bolstering my, my statement that love can only hurt you. You can only hurt yourself. You can only be hurt by love. You cannot hurt other people with your love. You can hurt other people with your adoration and your affection and smothering them. You can bother them to no end, but they can't be, you can't kill somebody with love. You can't. Kindness, yes, but not love. So this, this idea that in your pursuit of love, in this pursuit of that calm, warm blanket that heroin and so many other drugs provide, uh, that, that dopamine rush that floods your muscles and causes the lactic acid to be held back and allow you to move as freely as you want to and feel as if you're floating on a cloud. That, that pursuit of that feeling being hindered by societal norms, however large or small they be, is, is a really sad state of affairs. People should be allowed to love who they want to love, in whatever case that may be. And the fact that that's something like that is being portrayed in a graphic novel, let alone a graphic novel about a superhero, let alone a, gra a superhero that doesn't use superpowers, which just uses their brain, that's just accentuating how disconnected that hero is from the notion of emotions, let alone the concept. I think that's an awesome title for an album, The Notion of Emotions. Probably like an R&B album. Maybe country, yeah, anything like slowed down, Notion of Emotions. Maybe jazz, yeah. Not blues. Yeah, that would be, uh, Love Don't Come and Knock in No More, probably something like that. Um, so yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, that page, it's just accentuating even more as it did a little bit earlier. Uh, there are some real-life problems between the races, you know? People aren't able to just love each other. And the sooner people realize that in about, not even about, at least a thousand years from now, uh, we're all going to be caramel-colored. Not dark caramel, but light caramel. I'd say like a, a Beyonce or an Aaliyah. It's going to get to that point. Our facial features will be different. You know, different eyes, different noses, different mouths, but skin tone. And, you know, like, basically, skull structure, you know, jawline, all that jazz. That's going to permeate, because the way it seems to me, those genetic traits are more permanent than melanin. The genetic trait of skin tone permeating through humanity, throughout the ages. Uh, it seems to me that the way that people look stays a lot more permanent than their skin tone. Just look at any mixed-race child. Hell, my nephew, coolest dude in the world, his, his bone structure is an amalgamation of the two parents. Uh, and that won't change. It's going to have the features that come out. But his skin tone is going to be a mix. Like, it's just going to be lighter. There's no way in the world that you can have more of one thing and more of another just because it's skin tone. 
uh, well, I don't want to say no money in the world. Statistically, it is possible because I have seen, you know, you have a larger family. But again, that's within the gene pool, so the statistics are higher. It's not like it's happening randomly in nature. It's, let's say, if you had a family of two kids, the chances of the two kids being drastically different in skin tone is much smaller, that chance, as opposed to that family with eight kids. If they have mixed race parents, regardless of the races, the chances of one child being having an accentuation of one of the parents, you know, so it's a, uh, an Asian father and an African American mother, the chances of one child being having a skin tone that's more Asiatic or more African is higher because of the genetics at play here. You're using eggs that are were all formed during puberty. I mean, that's how it works and sperm that's degrading over time <laughs> so whether it's over the course of eight years those eight kids where they were just banging them out or it's over the course of 20 years and it's those eight kids i mean the difference between a 20 year old and a 28 year old sperm wise is just as drastic as the difference between the sperm of a 20 year old and a 50 year old the genetic material is going to be different so a 50 year old person impregnating you know their 50 year old wife and having a kid there's a chance that his sperm the DNA won't be as strong as the eggs DNA because those eggs even though they are hmm, uh, original they are the ones that were originally created uh, they weren't changed they're the same one so as long as the egg basket is kept fresh that sounded dirty I mean eating healthy I don't mean summer's eve people um, and keeping your body healthy, you know, exercising, all that jazz. As long as that temple is kept healthy, the eggs will be fine. Uh, the average dude doesn't stay healthy, I don't know, whatever. Well, maybe they do. Who knows? Why was I saying all that stuff? Well, basically because people need to accept the fact that we're all going to be black eventually. And not black, because a lot of racist people be off by that. We're all going to be brown. A nice tan color. We're all going to be tan. A nice, sexy tan color. Come the 30th century. At the very least, by the time the, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, I was going to say the Teen Titans, but that's because they went there. Uh, oh, come on, Nick. I'm thinking of the names, too. Like, oh my goodness. Saturn Girl, and, 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 oh, come on. And they operate at a LexCorp and Brainiac is on the team. Come on, every all the listeners are yelling at me because they're like, dude, it's this. And I'm like, on the tip of my tongue, I'm gonna say something else and I don't wanna say it because that's not it. Uh, they're in the 31st century. Come on, you'll just, you'll help this analogy so much. Legion of superheroes. I didn't look it up. I had Legion in there and it just started coming up. The era where the Legion of superheroes is supposed to exist? That's around the time we'll probably get to the point where we're 10, which will probably be around the time we'll probably... That was a lot of probably's, but not enough bees. That would be around the time that we would be fine with just allowing people to just exist and be who they want to be. Wow, that was really trying to melt a fictional universe with an actual one. <laughs> Michael Holt does some self-diagnosing, which is pretty cool. It's actually really cool. It's a blending of like minority reports and really Prometheus, before Prometheus came out. There's some interesting stuff going on here. 
um, and a conversation. And I'm going to point out again another thing that I missed. He's got this hologram projection thing, and you see the projection that Karen Starr has, and it's her, but it's just her standing. Like it's you know it's a it's a holographic representation. So the voice is real time, but the hologram is kind of like a like a loop. I guess you could think like it's 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 uh, you know like walking around or standing still, but the mouth is moving to correspond with the words. But it's supposed to be like the Jetsons. So if you think like you you turn on your your you know, your FaceTime in the Jetsons, basically. Uh, and it would pretend like, oh, you got, uh, oh, no, 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 they, they put that on. Yeah, I had this wrong. They went in the machine and put on, like, the fake clothes and the makeup and all that jazz. That way, when they went on the screen, they looked normal. Okay, so scratch that. This is totally original. Okay, this is the idea that you could have this facsimile of yourself, like an avatar or a simulation of yourself that, like a video game, exists. Uh, as so long as you keep the video game on, but you're like uh, chatting, like peer-to-peer -peer chatting, but the mouth is moving with you. That's in essence what's going on here. The video game is bleeding into real life. Karen Starr's video game avatar, her character, looks exactly like who she looks like in real life. Whereas Michael Holt's character, his avatar, looks like Michael Holt, even though in real time, he's all decked out as Mr. Terrific because he's doing some self-diagnosing and he's trying to figure out why his brain was able to be bombarded the way it was, despite the fact he's got all his technology. I'd like to also point out that in the previous issue, as well as before the previous issue, I had no idea how he put his domino mask on. His domino mask is a T, so it's, it's you know, it's T-shaped. It, it covers his eyes, but then it goes down and covers his nose and mouth, and, and uh, I guess you'd say to the outside point, and maybe like a two millimeters outside of his, the crevices of his lips. And that's how the T forms. And it stops at the chin, um, but it's it's a it's a T sphere. And he literally like it says here he says activate. He pushes the T sphere towards his face, and it changes phases. It changes states of matter, and goes from solid to liquid, and then back to a solid again. Kind kind of like um, I wasn't gonna say mercury, but more like it looks like mercury. And it's gallium, G A L L I U M. If you've never heard of or seen gallium, go on YouTube and search gallium because there's bound to be someone that threw something out there on there. It is, the it is one of my favorite, I was, I was gonna say the coolest, one of my favorite elements that exists uh, in its natural state is a solid. That's room temperature, in essence, room temperature, 72 degrees Fahrenheit. But, you know, you put it on your palm, which is 98.6 degrees, usually, Fahrenheit. Let's just say a little over 98 degrees. It melts. And it looks like the T-1000. It's the coolest thing in the world. And it's not, you know, toxic is not like mercury or, or you know, uranium, plutonium is not like you're going to get poisoned by touching it. Uh, you have to go through a little bit of drama to like get it off because it's like glitter, I guess you could say. I've held it before, whatever. But it's, it's the coolest thing in the world. Um, so just so you can have that mental image, go Google gallium or not even, just go on YouTube and search for gallium. G-A-L-L-I-U-M. And just watch a science experiment. You know, somebody, oh, you got some gallium? And it's like a, usually it would probably be like a cube. I don't usually see spheres, usually like a cube or a cylinder or, or like a glob and they put it in a hand or put it on a table and it just starts melting like a Salvador Dali painting. It's so cool. It's so cool. And that's, that's how his mask comes on. And we get a splash page on page 14, which is freaking awesome, of him traveling from the ninth dimension inside one of his T-spheres uh, that I went much more in depth into in the previous episode and going towards... Uh, Santa Barbara, if I'm not mistaken? No, downtown LA. He's going from the T Sanctuary to, to downtown LA. 
and riding upon his T-spheres. It was so freaking awesome. It was, uh, this character is awesome. I had no idea. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, the, the antagonist... Damn, that's a spoiler. The problem, really, of... Not problem of the storytelling, but the problem that Superman has to face. Uh, and, and I'd say like the first 12 issues. It spans the first 12 issues of Superman. And it does bleed into other, other graphic novels. I'm just not 100% sure on what they are right now. Maybe some grifter in there, who knows. Uh, an individual involved in that starts talking in a halted speech. Like, we must find, period. And then, a way to reach it, veil, period, be coming soon. And it's a weird way to... It's cool. Just cool... Excuse me, cool stuff. Um, we get an awesome thing here, which is probably plays into um, pre-Flashpoint Mr. Terrific. I don't know yet. I still haven't caught up. I haven't read any of this stuff. But um, he gets asked for an autograph by a kid who's got a tattoo. A, a fake tattoo, you know. A, not a henna. Maybe henna, but it's like, you know, a stick-on tattoo of the fair play thing. And, you know, he, he, he notices it. And he, you know, he's not, he's not an a-hole. Mr. Terrific rocks. Uh, so he's like, hey, man, can I get an autograph? And he's like, yeah, sure. But he doesn't just say, you know, yeah, sure. He's like, oh, yeah, of course. But he says fair play. He says fair play, question mark. And then all the kids say, win the day. I had no idea. Like, it was a thing. You know, like, fair play, win the day. You know, like, whatever. You can say what you want. Like, it feels, like, hokey or Robin Hood-esque. But that stuff is awesome. You know, like, that's why people like music. Like, lyrical music. It rhymes. You know, and yes, I might be reducing a, a superhero that is a master of quantum physics to a mother goose fairy tale but everything has its appeal and I was drawn to the character for the signs the fact that he's got a cool catchphrase and I figured the tattoo just had some other kind of meaning it wasn't just like you know fair play win the day and the mantra it's kind of like you know no pain no gain I mean, you can't be mad at it it makes sense Hey, if you play fair, you're going to win. It makes sense. You can't lose. Even if in the game you lose, in life you win because you play fair. If you play fair and the person cheats and you lose, or you play fair and they play fair and you lose, you still won. You're going to get your gaining experience. But if you cheat, you don't win anything. There's no way. You don't gain any experience by cheating. Just look at anyone that spent their whole time cheating through high school. Once you get to college, you're like, oh man, i got to study. And you got that much t more time that you have to spend learning how to do research and write papers when everyone else already has that stacked up in their lexicon of wisdom. <laughs> um, that they can bypass all that stuff, just knock out a paper. You know, it's a good mantra, man. Fair play, win the day. I might be saying that more often than not. Uh, he was clearly running some diagnostics while he was just cold chilling, walking through the streets like dude rocks, man. Like. You see it in the first panel, you know, the uh, later mall in Los Angeles. Uh, I was looking at the time, I shouldn't have been. Uh, page 16. And uh, once, once the same thing that occurred in the previous issue starts happening again, he attempts to create a localized area. Instead of using the Bose-Einstein condensate, as he did with the earthquake wave patterns, he's using, here it says, a dampening field. Chances are, it's some form of quanta. No, it clearly has to be. It has to be some form of matter traveling on a wave. Uh, but it, it's some element, some particle, that's bouncing between the T-spheres here. It's four T-spheres to make a, a rectangle. Uh, 
that are acting as a barrier. So they're vibrating at a frequency that is causing that thing. And here it's it's an onomatopoeia of eep. So it's a high-pitched you know buzz or ringing that is ringing people's ears and causing them to be susceptible to this guy brainwave. This net that's cast between these four T-spheres in the air is emitting a particle that vibrates at a frequency that cancels out his wave patterns. Now again, this is all theoretical physics, but that's the fun of this graphic novel. And we go forward a little bit more on this idea of physics, this, this, this postulation of what's going on between these two characters, and the character, Brainstorm, basically just turning up the frequency causes Mr. Terrific's technology to be canceled out. It's science. Like, yes, okay, you can look at it and be like, oh, I don't really rock with these theories because I haven't been able to observe this in nature. I haven't been able to see these devices do the things that are being displayed on these images in real life. Well, if everyone thought that way, we wouldn't have cars and telephones and electricity and iPhones and refrigerators and carburetors inside of our cars, let alone the cars themselves. We would be going around walking. We wouldn't even have horse-drawn carriages because somebody had to sit down and say, hey man, if we take that wheel that's, you know, spinning things on that spindle, on that spindle, that's horrible, uh, on that, I was lathe? I think that's right. No, that's not right either. On the spinning wheel, yeah, that wheel, that's spinning on the spinning wheel, no. If we take that spinning wheel and we put four of them together and put a rectangle parallel to the earth and just have it sitting on those wheels, man, we, we, could, we could have a cart. What's a cart? I don't know, man. Let's go outside and see if it works. Like, that's really all it is. Like, it's somebody drawing something or having some idea in their head and saying, hey, man, this is possible. Somebody's got to try it out and see if it actually is possible. This science checks out. I mean, Wikipedia's got its verifiable sources all at the bottom. And if you're wikiing science and quantum physics on Wikipedia, let's just say science in general, it's, it's right. It's not like your Wikipedia... It's not like you're wikiing a celebrity, you know, or some aspect of history, because history changes. Uh, because it's determined by the victors, whereas science is determined by fact. It's a very big difference. Victors have opinions. That was not intended to be a pun. Facts are just facts. They just are. Gravity just exists. If something falls out of your hand, it's going to hit the ground. That's a fact. It's the way it is. It might take varying amounts of time, but it will hit the ground. Unless you're holding a bubble, then it's going to float away if there's air or whatever. You know what I'm saying here. And what am I saying here? This graphic novel rocks. It's got some cool science being used for a superhero. And it's doable. In an alternate parallel universe, Mr. Terrific's existence is more plausible than most other superheroes from any publishing house. Now, I love all superheroes and all their permutations. I may have a preference of one publishing house to another or to others, uh, but it doesn't mean that I that 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 doesn't mean that it precludes me my enjoyment of superheroes in general. You know, uh, but you can't look past the fact that this is one of few you know others are uh, the Adam Ray Palmer uh, or Ray the Adam Palmer in the boxing 
Uh, who else is a scientist? Straight scientist. Technically, technically, the Flash is plausible. It may not be possible, as far as we know, but it's a plausible scenario. Unknown chemicals being hit by, as we were talking about, again, you know, wave patterns, and a huge bolt of electricity will cause those chemicals, these separate chemicals that are now mixed together because he fell into a case when he got hit by lightning and, you know, still electricity is forcing into his body. All those chemicals, let's just say it's two chemicals. There was like six or seven of them, but let's say it's two chemicals. They mix together. They are split by the electricity, by that gigantic thunderbolt, and that's not just a spark that would be from a plug. That is a bolt of electricity. There's a good chance it's going to split some atoms. And who's to say that those atoms don't cause, or wouldn't cause an individual to get a form of radiation poisoning that causes their body to vibrate so quickly that they can, their, their muscles twitch at speeds that break the sound barrier. Now, it may seem, like I said, impossible, given our current understanding of physics, but the idea of it being implausible, that's crazy talk. It's crazy talk. It's possible. I know I'm sitting here trying to justify the Flash and all these different superheroes, whatever. There's a lot of stuff that's quite possible. And it, and it shouldn't be overlooked. It should not be overlooked. So, I would say the theme of this particular issue, you can't say brain over brawn, because that is really the prevailing you know, theme, I would say, of any issue you know, of, of, of Mr. Terrific, especially this run, you know, let alone three flashpoints. Well, I would say the, the main theme of this particular issue is, um, let's go with barriers. There's quite a few barriers. There's the barrier, the obvious barriers of uh, the one being created, the, the, the quantum barrier barrier quanta that's not cool let's just use the terminology we already went through the Bose-Einstein condensate uh, or the condensate plural it's not just one atom um, those particles being used as a barrier against earthquake waves to cancel them out um, the T-spheres being used as a barrier uh, to cancel out brainstorms uh, activities or, you talk about the barrier between uh, the T-Sanctuary, uh, Mr. Terrific's base of operations, his, his uh, boo, or where he was going back to Earth, uh, our dimension, our reality, or, no, I'm sorry, Earth too, because this is another dimension. That's kind of spoiling things, but not really. Uh, is it? Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure this is Earth too. I hope I'm not messing things up. Let's let's go past that. He's going back to downtown LA. The barrier would be space. That's a weird way to put it, but that's what's keeping him from getting to point A to point B. There's the barriers that are portrayed in here. But as well, the, the, the barriers between acquaintances, people that could be more than just an acquaintance, more than just friends. So you have the acquaintances of uh, Alika, Michael Holt's personal assistant, Mr. Terrific's personal assistant, and pretty much 
individual who's in charge of everything when he's not around, and Karen Starr. Alika and Karen Starr don't like each other because of racial differences. Now, it's more Alika not trusting Karen Starr's motivations because she's a high-powered, incredibly wealthy Caucasian woman who is insanely attractive and always around Michael Holt. She's threatened by her presence and thus not willing to make her a friend. That apprehension is only accentuating the barrier between them because thus the Karen Starr isn't going to go out of her way to try and make the friendship any stronger. She's going to walk away. She's going to allow the distance to become greater. That barrier between them is, is ever-widening. And, you know, this instance that occur is occurring amidst, uh, what was it, the consentia, uh, Michael Holt's place of business. The problem that Brainwave is, is bringing about is causing him to not focus on his Michael Holt personality that the board of directors want him to focus on and other people around him want him to focus on, uh, and instead fo him shifting his attention towards Mr. Terrific. Him being in that persona and, and dealing with the problem is creating a barrier between him and Karen Starr, who in the previous issue we saw, they have a very intimate relationship, and in this issue, the only interactions they have are when he's trying to fix the problem with the, you know, with the nitrogen gas and the Bose-Einstein condensates, and when they're talking via their holograms. You know, they're, they're, they're not connecting on an emotional level. It's all, it's all psychological. It's all mental, you know, on a mental level, not mentally impaired. It's all on a mental level. It's all thoughts being spoken about absent of emotions. And that, that's bound to create a barrier. So I would say that's, that's today's theme, barriers. And I guess, you know, don't have them. <laughs> that's a simple way to say it. There's no reason to put up a bunch of barriers around yourself or try and uh, bolster barriers around other people to make it easier for you to um, keep going about your day and your, and your own semblance of a status quo. You know, shake things up, man. Be open. Allow yourself to see things differently, or to see people differently, or to understand people differently, and experience things in a different way. You know, that's, that's the purpose of being alive. Do it now, or you'll regret it. You'll regret it, I, I guarantee it. There's no way in the world you'll be on your deathbed, whether that's today, tomorrow, or half a century from now. A century from now, who knows? Given the singularity, it could be millennia from now. Whenever you shuffle away from this mortal coil, at the very least, that moment is going to be when you're going to realize you should have been more accepting towards other people. Why have your entire life be wasted being unaccepting, and thus an unacceptable human being, and waiting until the last few fleeting moments of your life to then realize, oh wait, I should have been nicer to people around me, I should have been more willing to listen to what someone else had to say. Why wait till then? Spend your life being more open now. It's better to go through your life being open and, and susceptible to the scars and, 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 and bouts of pain that can be inflicted upon you, upon the wounds that you opened up, the wounds of your soul. It's better to allow that to happen, to, to be susceptible to that, than to be so closed off and hardened that no one can get in in the first place. You know, take your licks. You know, allow life to hurt you, you know, or, or for you to be hurt by the love that you're consistently giving. Allow that to happen, that way you can experience it to the fullest. 
The only way you can experience love is, is to give it. You can't have it if you don't give it. See? I would have thought it would have gotten so heartfelt in a, in a podcast about quantum physics. Now, if you haven't read this, this week's issue, this issue two, if you haven't read it yet, please go to your local comic book store. And if you can't make it to your local comic book store, go ahead and go to dccomics.com. I think it's slash shop, but just go to dccomics.com. It's all there. Or you can go to comics, Comicsology. Or there's, there's a bunch of resources out there. There's a good chance if you listen to this podcast, you've got your mode of deliverance to whichever vendor you use to, you know, to buy your comics and buy your graphic novels. Uh, you already have it. But for, if for whatever reason you stumbled on this podcast and you haven't done that yet, go there and do it. Because these artists, man, they... They, they just want to entertain you. You know? And, and that's the point of this stuff. Some people in the world get wrapped up in this, and this becomes their whole life. And, and most other people, these graphic novels are fleeting passions. They're meant to be something you just enjoy, imbibe, and then defecate. Defecate into the ether via your brain, obviously. You don't eat the comic books and ship them out. That would be weird. Uh, but... You know, you allow it to placate you the way that you want to be placated, and then you move on. So you can move forward in the life the way you want to. I don't see how a graphic novel such as this couldn't do that for you. If, if you're interested with science, with science, if you're interested in science, you know, and the idea of using science as a way to solve your problems as opposed to your fists. And, you know, given the current state of affairs in the United States, I think people being a little bit more open to people's opinions and ideas is a better alternative to, I don't know, tanks rolling down the street. That might not be the best way to come off as accepting or as seeing an, an individual as a person and not as a quote, part of a quota or a statistic to be had. Just talk to people. Just talk. Sorry, I didn't want to get all political there. But, you know, sometimes it happens. So go buy your stuff, seriously. Go buy your stuff. Go open up your mind. And for the hell of it, as was mentioned in the previous episode, go watch some Doctor Who. It's good for you. Uh, I'd like to point out as well, though, I'm going to do some plugs. Don't have a plug bag song. Uh, But, you know, go ahead and check out ferrymanradio.org. Ferryman, F-E-R-R-Y-M-A-N. R-A-D-I-O dot org Ferryman Radio You know, ferrying mankind Amongst the stars Between the planets I was going to say betwixt But that N came out before the T And I guess the X Yeah, go check that out Interesting site And you know, Ferryman Radio is on iTunes It it truly is Um, That's all I'm going to say about that Uh, You can go ahead and check out Fourth Monkeys Fourthmonkeys.bandcamp.com Fourth, you know, the number fourth, F O R, F O R, come on, Nick, F O U R T H M O N K E Y S dot bandcamp dot com. Uh, it's lyricless music, it's instrumentals, but they're instrumentals that will make you feel a certain way. They're not just pointless loops. Not to say that other people make pointless loops, but the music is made to make you feel something, and that makes you feel something. So, you know, there's that. And then, you know, while you're over on iTunes, hell, go ahead and give this show a couple stars. You don't have to give Fairman Radio any stars. But go ahead and give this show some stars. Uh, just because you, you like to do 
intriguing things for intriguing podcasts. And I'd say at the very least this podcast is intriguing. It's it's uh, it's bound to to cause the level of intrigue to rise within your brain. Now, is it quite interesting? Oh, heavens no. Is it worth the what are we at now? Hour and forty four minutes spent talking about this? I don't know about that. Time is relative. Who knows if it's worth your time? If it was worth my time, I'd give it to you. Why? Because I love you. M O U S C. Damn it, I shouldn't have did that. <laughs> Who cares? Whatever. This is a crappy joke. I've been Nick Antoine. This was uh, episode two, of course. You would know that this far in. You've been the wisdom seeker. Thank you for listening. Keep thinking.